Hello, I'm Jane Dutton, and a very warm welcome to Money 101 with Jane Dutton. We're going to be talking about all things money, and I'm sure we could all do with a little help in some areas, from death duties to cryptocurrency and buying property on the metaverse. So we're going to be speaking to experts who deal in financial matters every day and put your questions to them. Today, we're going to be talking about offshore investments and Nicholas from Cape Town has got in touch and he's got a few questions. So let's talk to him. Hello, Nicholas from Cape Town. Thanks for getting in touch with us. You have a few questions when it comes to offshore investments. What are they? Yes, thanks, Jane. My wife and I are looking for somewhere to park a relatively modest lump sum, which she has withdrawn from her retirement savings. It's a typical kind of rainy day fund uh, that might be required in a couple of weeks or a couple of months for school tours. Uh, My granddaughter has been selected for the tag box. We're going to Ireland in August, and that's largely self-funded. So that sort of thing. Um, But we wanted better performance than you can get from like a fixed deposit or a seven-day account. So when I noticed the Alec Cogg's um, reference to the Shift app, it caught my eye, and I wondered whether that might not be appropriate, you know, a way to get performance plus flexibility. But I'm really in the dark about some of the fees and and how easy it is to move money in and out of it. And how to diversify in that area. Yeah, absolutely. I think in in today's economy and with things being so unpredictable in a lot of ways, I'd prefer to reduce our exposure to single currency risk, I suppose you could say, to the RAND, and definitely would look to try and tap into growth of some of the, probably the sort of high-tech or big-tech companies um, that that would maybe give us a little bit more stability and performance. Okay, thank you for that. I'll put that to the guest and uh, hope we answer your questions in a way that's going to help you have a much more easy trip abroad. Thanks, Nicholas. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Anna van Helden from Standard Bank has been listening in on that interview. And firstly, thank you very much for coming in. What should Nicholas do when it comes to investing offshore? What's the easiest way of going about his research? Well, you know, it really depends on what Nicholas wants to achieve in the long term, in the short term, in the medium term. So certainly living in South Africa, you know, we've become quite used to a currency that ultimately is is devaluating against currencies like the dollar, the euro, and the pound. And so when one looks at one's asset portfolio or investment portfolio, one really needs to consider this. And moving and investing funds into a currency like dollars or euros or pounds should be a fundamental part of anyone's uh, investment strategy. But there's certain things that one needs to consider. Foreign exchange rates. Is the rate Mm. good at the time or bad at the time? And that's obviously a relative question. And very quickly, do you have to absorb that loss into your portfolio? So so that is something that you obviously will have to counter at a later stage. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, if if you're going to retire and you're thinking of investing, you know, a million rand today, what will that million rand be worth in dollar terms uh, in in five years from now, in 10 years from now? And so having that exposure to foreign currencies is is critical uh, if you're going to maintain wealth and maintain the investment value from a global perspective, not just from a South African perspective. And is that on the assumption that the rand is not likely to get better anytime soon? Is that a fair assumption? Well, you know, like I've mentioned before, uh, I, I'm not a financial <laughs> advisor, but certainly if you look historically, yeah. uh, you know, the RAND is going in one direction. It may improve and it can always improve, but it, the likelihood of it continuing to weaken in the foreseeable future is very strong. Right. So somebody wrote to me a little earlier today and they were wondering, 
when you invest offshore, should you invest in rands or dollars? So I'm assuming that means when you start off your investment, do you convert or not? My view is that if you can convert, um, if you're able to actually take the funds and convert the funds into a fiat currency like you know, dollars, euros, or pounds, uh, and then invest offshore, uh, I believe that that's a good strategy. Obviously, there are limitations from a reserve bank perspective. So you can only take 1 million rand out unless you apply for the additional investment allowance of up to 10 million rand. But if you're working within that barrier of 1 million only, my view would be take that out and invest that offshore. The advantage with that is that you don't necessarily have to then bring those funds back onshore. If you invest in rands, so you buy a RAND-denominated equity like the S&P 500, you know, when you divest, you divest back into RANDs. Whereas if you take the money out, put it into dollars, you invest it, you don't divest back into RANDs. You divest back into the dollars and you can hold those offshore or you can bring them back in. And it just gives you more options and more flexibility in terms of what you want to do. So Nicholas has got 200 from his wife a payout and he wants to know what to do with it I mean that's a that's a good lump sum of money isn't it a lot of people feel that it's only the rich you can do offshore what is the minimum that you can put in what's the maximum what could you do with 200 And I know you can't give specific financial advice but what should he be thinking of from a portfolio of shares point of view for example well you know again I think I think Based on his specific circumstances, one needs to, number one, evaluate what's going on. But if he's looking at it from the perspective of, I want a RAND hedge, the first thing I would do is take those funds offshore. So convert them into potentially dollars or euros or pounds and consider you know, the type of investment that you're going to do, number one, you've got to look at investment charges. You know, how much does it cost to go with a brokerage? How much does it cost if you're going to be investing it through one of the international funds? Because those fees can be quite significant. If Nicholas is a hands-on person, so somebody that actually wants to be in control of it, doesn't want to just hand it over to somebody else who then runs it, but wants to to you know, potentially manage it themselves, I would certainly look at an online trading platform that allows him to convert his funds into a foreign currency and then invest it in potentially an ETF. You know, there's there's a lot of NASDAQ and New York Stock Exchange listed ETFs that track technology or pharmaceuticals or innovation and potentially put it into one of these ETFs and leave it there for a while. That's the kind of thing that I like to do. Uh, it, it gives him full control over it he can buy and sell as he he feels comfortable. Okay, to do that, you probably need to be quite a sophisticated investor. You need to be have done your homework. If you are somebody who wants to hand it all over, yes. how do you get the right person? And, uh, and I ask with a vested interest because I used to live in the Middle East. Yep. And after I gave birth, when you kind of, you know, your brain flatlines a little bit, um, I was taken for a ride with so many other people in the Middle East because the regulations there are not, uh, are they, are they're not strong. And a lot of the money was taken by the funds that we weren't made aware of. Yep. So how are you, layman, supposed to check that out how do you know that you're not being ripped off well so so that's a great question I, I think i think we're fortunate in south africa that there are a lot of very well-known businesses and investment firms out there that that can manage these kind of portfolios for you you know 
So if you look at companies like Liberty and Melville Douglas or Alan Gray, you know, they, they, they have brokers, trusted brokers, and you can go to them, they can provide you advice, you can give them your, your lump sum, and they'll invest that for you. However, there are disadvantages with that. Effectively, you're giving control to a third party and you're, you're reliant on that trust relationship, you know, and, and hopefully if you're with somebody reputable, it will go smoothly. But I think that, you know, technology has advanced significantly over the last couple of years. And you don't, you don't have to do that anymore. You can actually take ownership of that process yourself. You can decide where you want to invest it. Yes, it's, it's always imperative that you do some research, that you understand a little bit about what's going on. But today, you know, digital platforms enable you to, to really perform that job yourself and at a significantly lower cost than having somebody do that for you. Mm. So I think the world is moving in that direction. I think more people are going to be doing it themselves. When it comes to investment, and I know when you hand it over that you've got to do that risk assessment, which I always have a spate of narcolepsy when I go through it. It was a, a spate of fear. I mean, how important, how do you work out how much money you should be putting in? What sort of percentage of your salary should you consider? What goes into that sort of consideration? That, that is really dependent on your specific set of circumstances. You've got to consider things like your age, your retirement age, what are you earning, how much disposable income you've got. And there's lots of different rules. You know, some people would say you must put a minimum of 30% of your total disposable income into some sort of investment. Others say it's higher, some say it's, it's less. And I think that, you know, what's really, really critical is that you unpack your specific circumstances, you look at your goals from a retirement perspective, and then you decide what you're comfortable with. That's why having financial advisors and brokers can be very, very valuable because they can help you determine and understand your set of circumstances, come up with a specific goal for you, and then provide you with an investment strategy that helps you achieve that goal. Nicholas raised another point about easy access. Yeah. If you want that, is it not better to open a bank account in the UK, for example? I've gone through the process of opening a, a bank account offshore, and it, it, it's not what I would call a smooth process. It is, it is quite a lengthy process. Give your DNA. Yeah, pretty much. And I think over and above that, you've got a lot of fees. So there's usually when you have a bank account, an offshore bank account, there's monthly fees, minimum cash balances, you know, and, and I think I think there's just easier ways of doing that now where you can effectively replicate an offshore bank account, but you can do that in a much, much simpler and easier way without all the paperwork, without all the costs and fees associated to it. You were talking about the, the maximum you can take out, 10 million, but you've got to get the go-ahead from the tax man, from SARS. How do you avoid tax? How do you... I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting we get dodgy, but I mean, nobody really wants to pay tax unless you can see it going into sort of upliftment. Uh, sure. What's the best way to go around that? I think the first thing you need to understand is that every South African individual over the age of 18 automatically gets a 1 million rand single discretionary allowance. So that is prescribed by the South African Reserve Bank. And that is an annual allowance that runs from the 1st of January to the 31st of December. What does that mean? It means that I can effectively take up to 1 million rand uh, without any paperwork or anything like that out of South Africa. And, and, and by taking it out of South Africa, it really means I can convert it into a foreign currency and hold those funds offshore. So that's your one million. Now, in terms of, of, of taxes, there's no tax implication for the movement of the funds out. But of course, any growth 
on those funds. So if you invested in something and you realize a return on that investment, that is taxable income. The second component to that is, is the additional. So, so if I want to take more than that out for investment purposes, I can apply through the, the, the SARS website. Um, I, can, I can apply for a tax clearance certificate. Now, that tax clearance certificate allows me then to take up to an additional 10 million depending on if you qualify for that or not. And that, that, that will, you know, whether you qualify or not is dependent on, you know, how much funds you have available to take out and, and a whole bunch of other things. Mm. And really tax kind of works in a very similar way to the way that it would work if you are investing it uh, locally or internationally. It's really about understanding the value that you've gained from that and ensuring you are paying the tax on any investment mm where you realize a gain on that investment. Does it change in every jurisdiction? And off the back of that, I'm just going to put some questions to you. Another email I got this morning. This is about buying and selling shares in the US. If she sells a share, makes a profit, do I get taxed in the US? So no, in, in the US, you won't get taxed on your gains in the US, but you will be responsible for declaring the gain in South Africa. So you will get taxed in South Africa against the gains. But there is one thing where you do pay tax in the US on equities. Mm. And, and that is really on the, the it's, a, it's a dividends tax, a dividends withholding tax. So when you get paid dividends, the US government takes 15% of that dividends as as tax. That's automatically done for you if you have something called a W-8 Ben form, which is effectively something that allows you to register in the US to pay tax against your dividends. So you should be registered as a taxpayer there? Yes, Okay. but well, you're not registered as a taxpayer per se. You're, you're registered as somebody who lives outside of, of the US, okay. who's not from the US, who is investing directly in equities in the US. And as a result of that, you are responsible for tax and that, that tax gets gets um, deducted from your payouts. Okay, so if you've got assets and shares offshore, do you need to make up another will? You're getting into an area that I'm not a tax expert on, but I would certainly say that, you know, there are things to consider. There's, there's something called CITES tax, which is applicable um, in the US. So if should you should you pass away and you have assets invested in the in the US, your uh, beneficiaries may be liable for for some some taxes associated to to your estate. And so one has to consider all of these things. My advice is that anyone that's really considering investing certainly significant amount of, of money. If you if you're going to invest a few thousand dollars and you're worried about that speak to 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 a tax person but mm. but if, if you're if you're going to be investing a hundred two hundred thousand dollars at a time I, I, my recommendation would be to speak to a tax practitioner somebody that understands that and who can advise you to structure structure it in the right way because yes mm. there are taxes uh, it can get quite complicated and one should obviously always be prepared for that so Nicholas was very interested in using the Shift platform. You are head of Shift at Standard Bank. I know it's won many awards. Is this a route that he should consider and how will it ease his movement of money? As the head of Shift, I'm definitely going to recommend that uh, Nicholas give Shift a try. But but um, jokes aside, yes, I, you know, the fundamental essence of Shift right now is that it makes the ability to buy and sell foreign exchange really simple. It, 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 is, 
it is, to the best of my knowledge, the easiest and simplest and actually the most cost-effective way to buy foreign exchange and hold foreign exchange uh, in South Africa today. I'm not aware of any other platform that does this. You know, fundamentally, before you start moving money offshore, before you start traveling offshore or, or, or buying goods offshore or investing offshore, if you're going to do that in foreign currency, as we've discussed, download Shift, register for Shift. You don't have to be a Standard Bank customer. Anybody can download and register for Shift. There are no monthly fees. And you can then very, very simply and very easily take the first step to investing offshore, which is let me get my foreign exchange. Let me buy my foreign exchange. So take 200,000 Rand, um, put it into Shift. It's a, it's just an ETF into a, into a, a, a bank account. And then he can convert those funds into dollars or euros or pounds whenever he wants to. If the rate's good today, he sees the rate is favorable, he might want to convert it at that, at that point in time. We are very transparent around our fees and, and he's got complete control over the process. And you can access your money at any stage. At any stage. What many people want. And so what will happen is as soon as he's purchased, gone from rands into dollars, the dollars are instantaneously available to him uh, and they're held inside a dollar wallet on shift. Mm. Now, from a reserve bank perspective, those funds have now been externalized. We've reported the, 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 the transfer of the funds from rands into dollars to the reserve bank under the, the single discretionary allowance. Now, Nicholas has got the equivalent of uh, 200,000 rands worth of dollars sitting in a shift dollar wallet, and he can decide what he wants to do, to, do with it. Now, on shift, you can do many things with it. You can move those funds into an, an offshore bank account. You could move those funds into potentially, uh, if, if, if you wanted to sign up with uh, a, a Melville Douglas or a Standard or a Liberty uh, offshore portfolio, he could move those funds uh, very simply and very cost effectively into that portfolio. And then they will then take over and invest those funds based on, on, on what he's agreed with, with the, re- the relevant broker. But if he wants to do it himself, then he can take the funds and directly on shift, he can invest those funds in uh, stocks on the New York Stock Exchange or stocks on the NASDAQ or ETFs, which, whichever he, he, he has chosen. If he does a bit of research, he can see what's happening in you know, technology or industrials or pharmaceuticals. So, so it's pretty evident if you do the research on how well a share is doing Absolutely. if you want to invest in the NASDAQ. Absolutely. Uh, we offer, uh, I think, around 300 um, direct stocks and around 50 ETFs today. And what's, what's really nice is that we've got a very low fee, fee structure. So it's very easy to invest. And if Nicholas all of a sudden has some kind of an issue and he needs to access that money, he can access it immediately. He can sell the shares as long as the markets are open. He can sell the shares uh, and back into his dollar wallet. He can also return it back into rands um, and spend it and cash it cash it out. And so what's really nice is that you've got that control. Mm-hmm. When you hand it over to a, a third party, the challenge is, is that the funds aren't that accessible. It's a little bit more difficult to get those funds 
back into your hands. They've mm. got to divest for you. Usually there's at least a 30-day notice period, if not longer. There might be penalties for withdrawing. Then they've got to get the money back into your bank account. Then it automatically gets converted back into RANDs unless you've got an offshore account and we've already d- spoken about that. Mm. So, so for Nicholas, the beauty with Shift is that number one, he can get into the foreign currency very quickly, very mm. easily and most uh, uh, most certainly very affordably. It's, it's really, we've got one of the best mm. rates available in the market. And then from there, he can decide what he wants to do with it. If you had to give somebody your, your best tip to investing offshore, other than going through shift, what would it be? I mean, how do you release the fear if the fear is there? I think that the best tip is always go through somebody reputable. Investing offshore can feel daunting, but it's actually a lot simpler than it used to be. And as long as you stick with the reputable brands, you stick with the, I don't want to say necessarily the bigger ones because it's not necessarily, there's, there's a lot of small boutique firms that also are very reputable doing great work. But my, my, my biggest tip is, is make sure you've researched who you're investing with. There are a lot of scams out there. There are a lot of people convincing you to give them you know, uh, to, to, to hand over your money and you'll never see them again. And that old mantra, if it sounds too good to be true. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we've seen we've seen some really big scams, certainly in the cryptocurrency world in South Africa, you know, and I think I think one one must be careful, one must do the, the, the research. And my second tip is my preference is I want to be in control. I want to be in control. I want to know that the funds are accessible to me when I need them. If something goes wrong, I don't want to have to ask somebody nicely if they don't mind, please returning my funds to me. I want to be able to do it myself. I know. Very good to talk to you. Thank you. And we'll have more of your questions answered in the next episode of Money 101 with Jane Dutton. Get in touch with me on jane at biznews.com. Thanks for watching.